Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. It's taking that risk that maybe you are smarter than you think. Maybe you are, you know, better than you realize. I mean, honestly, I had the same thing happen with me when I when I went to law school. I was like, oh my God, I don't think I belong here. And then I started to realize maybe, well, wait a minute, maybe I do. And, and same thing, you know, when I graduated and, and everything else, I mean, it's, it's the actual doing that makes you start to realize, oh, you know, I, I, I can do this. So the big questions are these, how can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung, and it is so fun for me when I get to interview friends. And this episode is so special for me because not only do I get to interview a friend, this friend is truly a powerhouse. She is the host of a podcast called Potential to Powerhouse, and she is a true powerhouse. She is the founder of Hatch Beauty, which is also known as Hatch Collective, which actually was just acquired by a huge, huge uh, uh, retailer called American Exchange Group, which is the owner of aerosols and White Mountain Footwear and all kinds of amazing retailers. She is Absolutely incredible. She's a founder, an investor, an executive chair, chairman, an entrepreneur, but she is dedicated to making sure that females have a voice and amplifying women entrepreneurs in particular and really truly one of the most abundance mentality people that I know. Truly one of the most authentic people that I know. And I'm so privileged to be in her circle and in her space because she's just such a beautiful soul and such a a powerful soul. So thank you, Tracy, for joining me here today and being part of this. Everybody's in for such a treat. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And I feel the same way about you. You have helped so many people navigate some of the most difficult relationships on the planet with confidence and focus and self-care. And I think that's a very important role in the world. And so I very much appreciate you as well. Mm, thank you. Well, I, you know, we met under the the most interesting circumstances. I happened to go to Lewis Howe's birthday party and walked in, met you. And, you know, within, I don't know, an hour or so, you were like inviting me into your your world. And we barely even knew each other, but I was so grateful that you did. Yeah. So Lewis Howe's and Martha are some of the most heart-led people that I know and inspired people and out-of-the-box thinkers. And I always realize that the folks that I meet that are around the people that I admire are folks that I immediately kind of lean into getting to know. So that was a fun night celebrating his birthday. And they just got engaged. So we have more celebrations to have together. So fun. So fun. And so I I want to take you back because you are so accomplished. And yet, you know, I, I want to go back to your background because in in some ways we kind of have similar backgrounds. You had parents who were very accomplished, 
You, they both had PhDs. Your dad was a nuclear physicist. My dad was a doctor. And I went to boarding school. And then, you know, my my way of, I would say, my my way of 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 being um, you know, fighting back against my parents was I got I dropped out of college. I got married at 19 and had three kids by the time I was 22. <laughs> and then I got divorced. And, you know, I had to put myself back through, you know, college and law school the hard way. My dad didn't give me any money after that. And so I went back to law school 100% on, on student loans and, you know, the hard way because I figured I, I, I very quickly realized, oh, this isn't going to work. I have to actually make it in life, you know, and you kind of came at it. Uh, like that in a sort of a way too. I so I I found that sort of interesting because you ended up in reform school mm-hmm. as a teenager. Talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, I think you know hindsight is everything. In that I didn't have the the labels that we have now, like narcissism. Now I can identify and see that in my mother. But growing up, I didn't really know what that meant. I just know what it feels like to have a mother who's very, very narcissistic and um, with a host of some other things that I would sprinkle in there um, as a challenging parental relationship. So by the time I got to be 14, I was pretty wily. I was fortunate because my mother and father, the roles they played, my dad was the affectionate, loving kind of mother and father in in that family relationship. And because she took up a lot of oxygen, I think he was really always trying to figure out how to step in and be, be the mom and the dad. And so also being accomplished himself in his career and wanting to see his own successes, he also traveled a lot. Mm. And by the time I got to be 14 years old, I was pretty much raising myself emotionally. And because I was not obviously 18 and able to make good decisions, my father married my stepmother and then they established these weird things called rules, right? And you were like, yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) These things like you'll be home by this time. Here's what you're going to wear. This is what the the expectations of this household are. So you can imagine at 13 and a half, my father has a new wife. There's There's a new relationship dynamic. She comes with two kids around our age. And at that point, I kind of felt like, listen, if I needed a mom, I sure did need one from zero to 13. But now that I'm 13, I think I can do this on my own. So, you know, in hindsight, I have a deep amount of compassion for my parents making the choice they made at the time, which was really unprecedented. I mean, when I was sent to reform school, I was picked up at the high school by a kind of semi-quasi bodyguard who came and put me into the car and said, we were going to be leaving. And when I said, where are we going? He said, you're going to a new school. And I said, well, I don't think we need you for me to go to a new school. I can I can do that without you. And he said, no, no, the new school is out of state, which I, you know, at that time I thought, oh gosh, that sounds far away. So, I mean, there was a whole ser- series of events, but what I can tell you in hindsight was it was one of the best experiences of my life because it gave me a very quick awakening to what it would mean to become an adult and navigate the world on my own. Mm-hmm. And so being self-proficient, being driven, being focused, being ambitious, knowing that there's no backup plan and that it's okay to fail, but you have to try because no one's going to be there to save you. So I would call it a white hot energy for success, a driven white knuckling feeling from a young age of how am I going to adult enough here to be able to be on my own to be successful and get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, reform school is, is, you know, serious business, right? And Mm -hmm. you weren't even sure you wanted to go to college at that point. 
Yeah. I mean, reform school is hard labor. When So when you think about what that means, it's digging ditches, it's chopping down trees, uh, wheelbarrowing, you know, yeah. boulders uphill, lots of what I call heavy labor, labor activity mixed in with academics. And so that was almost two years. Um, and it is the same school Paris Hilton went to. Uh, she and I have had quite a few conversations about that. I had a very different experience than she did, but not as challenging in some ways, but I would say as traumatizing um, as it was for her, it was for me. But like I said, I feel like I wouldn't be the person I am today because at this point in my life and all of what I have been through up until then, I really felt like I've been through so many hard things that nothing you can do to me will be worse. Yeah. I, I totally get that. I do. And so then you decided to wait tables yeah. for a little while, right? I'm enterprising. I love this idea of like showing up to work, hustling, getting cash, walking out and having freedom. And this idea of transactionally being able to serve food and receive tips based on your service. I was an exceptional waitress and I loved it. I thought this is on some levels, it was one of the most rewarding experiences for me because it's such an accurate ROI for the night. You know, if you do a great job, you get great tips. Uh, obviously, I, I figured out it's also a lot of work. And when this one of my employers smacked my butt and said, you need to get your skirt shorter your skirt's too long and we hired you to have, you know, to hustle, but also to have your skirt shortened uh, at your mid thigh level. I thought, Ooh, this is not what I had signed up for. And uh, how old were you at this point? I was 19 years old. Uh -huh. I told my dad, my poor dad, I said, listen, I'm going to go to wait tables and I might go to cosmetology school and my father, who has a PhD in, in nuclear physics from Columbia, said, uh, well, good luck with that. And please don't call me for money. And I thought, is he kidding? Like right now or next month or forever? And he said to me, no, 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 never call me for money. And so I said, well, is there ever a time in which I can call you for money? And he said, yeah, when you decide to go to college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... It can so resonate with that. I mean, I remember when I ended up teaching after, you know, after I had had the kids and I got married and everything, I, I ended up teaching in inner city public school just for a short period of time before I, I started law school. And I remember thinking, God, I, I'm so far afield from where I thought I would end up, you know, like yeah. I got married and I had three kids and I graduated second in my class from high school, you know, and so, and my parents were, you know, very well educated and, and I, and my dad went to Columbia also for medical school and, and, and I thought, how did I end up here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think, I think that's a really important milestone to hit because I think transformation is either done in two ways. One is either you have a, a immediate momentary and sudden uh, activity or something that happens to you where everything's taken away or some kind of tragedy that just is the impetus. Or the second thing is you end up so far away from your future vision of who you thought you would be, you all of a sudden kick it into gear and say, oh, I'll yeah. do whatever it takes to get back to baseline, but this is not what I, this is really not what I signed up for. For sure. I mean, I remember being on the playground and there was another teacher that had gotten a promotion to be like, I don't know, something at the district level. And as a teacher, you know, that was like a promotion to get to go do something there at the district level. And I remember the another teacher said to me, "Oh, he got out, but you and me, not we. We won't be. We're we're stuck here. We'll, mm. we'll we're never leaving." 
And I remember looking at her thinking, maybe that's you. That's not me. I'm, I'm out of here, baby. And I, yeah. I remember like that day I looked at University of Miami at, at their night program for law school. I thought, I'm definitely out of here. And and that's what I did. So, okay. So then you go to the Fashion Institute and you said that's like the first time you realized like you were pretty smart at that point. Yeah, kind for sure. Thing. And honestly, I my dad said cosmetology school he wouldn't pay for, but the next thing up was from that was Fashion Institute of Design, which I, I got a merchandise marketing AA. And he said, yeah, I'll pay for it. Um, so that meant this kind of ticket. And you know what else I realized in hindsight is I always loved beauty. I love fashion. I always loved the more creative consumer products. But what I also really loved is this idea of building something that someone would buy. So much like your omelet or your hamburger at the waiting at waiting tables, this idea of creating something unique that people would be in in love with and consume and want to buy. I thought, oh, now that's that's ultimately my dream business. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but the Fashion Institute felt like I could be smart in a successful environment where I could learn how to make pretty, beautiful, gorgeous, unique things somehow that would then be able to be sold. But I did realize when I got in there that this is all about confidence. You know, the funny thing is, if you think about grades and college and and at least in the beginning of my college career, 70% or 80% of your grade is how do you show up? How act how active are you with a professor? How much do you engage in conversation? How hard does that professor see you try? And because I wanted to win so badly and I wanted to be, I didn't believe I was smart. So I thought, gosh, how do I get good grades? I sit in the front row, I take notes, I ask a lot of questions, I'm really engaged, I stay after class. And it was that was the magic pill for 4.0, 4.1, 4.2 grades, which I got all the way through graduate school. But I think what I would say is the confidence that it takes to start to raise your hand and ask the question is half of the grade. You know, I don't think I'm much smarter than most people I was in school with. I think they were all pretty smart. I think I just was so eager to learn and I didn't think I was smart. So as a confidence builder, how do I figure out this muscle of being like a student and being successful? And do you do you think that that is kind of almost a recipe for life in becoming confident, right? I mean, for people who are listening, who are thinking, I just don't feel confident at all. I Maybe they feel imposter syndrome. I mean, I think we all have that at times, right? And stepping out onto an, a stage, maybe it's an arena that they're not comfortable with. And, you know feeling, oh my God, I don't, this is not me. What would you say to them? Comparison is the enemy. Analysis paralysis will hold you in your fear and silence. And the reality is, guys, this is one life. We have such a short period on the on the planet. And without putting yourself out there and trying it and being and willing to look stupid ask a question and say hey i'm i might be the only one in this room that doesn't get it but what how why is it this way or how would you think about it i think people give grace to those who come in with an eager heart to learn and want to know more and it doesn't the confidence is your muscle waking up every single day and and putting that question forward and saying, taking the risk that you may be the one that everybody's looking at going, why doesn't she get it? I got this like 10 minutes ago. I promise you, you're not the only person who doesn't get it. You're you're just not. (laughs) Well, and it's taking that risk that maybe you are smarter than you think. Maybe you are 
you know, better than you realize. I mean, honestly, I had the same thing happen with me when I when I went to law school. I was like, oh my God, I don't think I belong here. And then I started to realize maybe, well, wait a minute, maybe I do. And and same thing, you know, when I graduated and and everything else. I mean, it's it's the actual doing that makes you start to realize, oh, you know, I I, I can do this. I mean, I, I would warn against the thing that I I did for a lot of my life. And if you find yourself overcompensating because you don't think you're getting it, are smart enough, fast enough are able to compete. So what I would do is just drive myself into this white knuckle over like if someone put in eight hours, I'd put in 12. You know, if someone was putting in 12, I'd put in 24. I'd do all nighters. I would take a red eye. I'd get there the day before. I was so hyper vigilant and so hard on myself because I had this belief that I wasn't as smart or capable, that I had to be 10 times better in order to just be a a table stakes baseline that I drove my sense of needing to be enough to a place where it almost took me out. And I would say that to my marriage, I would say that in my business partnership, I would say that in relationship with what we're calling narcissists, where we're overgiving, overcompensating, over, over allowing bad behavior because we believe somehow something's wrong with us. And so we have to show up and like prove why we belong at the table just to feel like we are enough to be in the room. Mm -hmm. And so we give, 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 give so much. And it's like, you wake up one day and you realize if I keep this up, there's not, there's no oxygen mask for me. I haven't, you know, what do we do? Yeah. So it's such a beautiful segue into a conversation that I wanted to have with you um, today. And, and actually a conversation that we actually had over the weekend, which is, you know, a, a kind of a hustling for your worthiness conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And, you know, and I think a lot of times, a lot of us have that feeling and and especially i think as empaths you know and and we call ourselves empaths and i think we are empaths a lot of times but i think it also comes from a a core wound that many of us have you know at growing up especially if if there was trauma in our homes and how we process trauma, especially if we were the ones that had to be the ones that were hyper responsible Mm. in the home Mm -hmm. and take on responsibility where we had to kind of grow up faster than we maybe should have or something like that. And so, you know, you think I can fix it. I can do it. I can, you know, if I'm just better, if I'm just, you know, I, if I can just prove that I'm, you know, show them that I can take care of it. I can take care of them. I can be this thing, you know, then I can. And and because I think sometimes you are so good at everything else mm-hmm. that you think you can show that you are worthy in this way too. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but I don't know. Here's the thing. What I learned in my first marriage, which was not what I would call traditional marriage. I really got married to a friend so we could have kids um, because I didn't have a good picker. And so I kept dating the wrong guy. And I think what I was trying to do is heal from mom and find an equivalent to a a male partner who is my dad um, or a personality type. And, you know, one of the things that I now know is that when you're hypervigilant, you're really type A, you're ambitious and driven as as a female. That's not hyper female energy, 
right? And in fact, so much so that in my 30s, I always felt like I was worried that people would think I was too pretty to have the real business opportunity, meaning you could either be pretty or you could be smart. And I had this false belief that you had to kind of pick a lane. And so I was like, oh, I'd much rather be really smart and very ambitious, successful and wealthy than be pretty and somebody's token piece of, you know, the kind of arm candy. I had this weird belief about having to kind of think through picking a lane. So I really leaned in that masculine energy, even like the loafers and the pantsuits and... Mm you know, minimal makeup and really was conscientious about my body and felt like I needed to hide my curves. I had all of these um, beliefs around that. And what that attracted was relationships with men who did not take that masculine role, right? I was I was attracting men who I liked were type A alpha would run after two or three dates. And then the kind of more submissive, passive type of guy would be more inclined and interested in in getting to know me, date me. But guess what? They actually then end up resenting you because in these relationships, there has to be this polarity of female-male energy for it to work long-term. So it was really kind of understanding in my 30s, getting to know myself. And if this resonates for anyone, what it does is it kind of creates this very difficult and lonely relationship dynamic because you end up missing out on juicy relationships with bodice-ripping romance with hot, hunky, alpha-type guys that are really the guys that make us feel feminine and sexy and pretty and desired, right? And so what you end up with is someone who's submissive and passive and you're not attracted to them. And then you're thinking, where's the sexy, hot guy, right? Some of, the, some of my friends date the mean guy because at least he's sexy, hot, and kind of aloof and submissive. That's hot, but that's not. <laughs> well, yeah, and then they only think they are worthy of that, of course, right? Totally. And, so and- it's all a journey, right? It's like trying to get back to baseline to me means learning to really... Not this idea of like how to love yourself, but like getting really raw with who do you authentically, transparently, and vulnerably want to show up as? Who are you? And be really comfortable with who she is. And for me, that ended up being, look, pink, lip gloss, you know, hair that flows, I love lingerie, you know, I'd love to smell good. I love candles, you know, whatever it may be for me, um, that expression in the last six or seven years of embracing my idea of being feminine and showing up in my feminine self and feeling really powerful in my femininity has been my, I think my favorite part of my personal journey and transformation. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com 
dot com slash best life to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify dot com slash best life. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zong. When you take responsibility, it also means that you have control. The flip side of that is that you're now saying, I have control of my life. The flip side is that you're no longer saying, I'm in victim mode. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life? Whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets, and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. I remember the first book that I read on on covert narcissism. I was on an airplane and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I, I was literally gasping out loud. It was almost embarrassing, but I, I was just so relieved that it wasn't me. And so you you so desperately just want to say to the other person, you are a narcissist. And now we return to today's show. I love that. You've also been in professional relationships with narcissists. Yes. I think, um, I think, you know, what's interesting about narcissists is that, um, I think in general, they're excellent business people, right? Because they're looking out for themselves and they're really smart. Um, I think that they, uh, can be very sociable, very charismatic because they're looking for how to get what they want and need, right? So they're extremely, can be extremely charismatic. And um, yeah, I think what I would say is... I mean, I think they're excellent only to a point though, not for the long term. Well, no kidding, right? It, it's all good until it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good till it's not good. But um there are now some tools that I use, Rebecca, that help me because my picker is off because childhood, I didn't have the right, I think kind of maybe the right nurturing parental structure. I'm guessing, I don't know enough to know that I always say I have great instincts, but a bad picker. So I do use the cultural index that you're familiar with to help me have a better picker. Um, and one of my dear friends coaches me that because I love to give and love to connect and I'm emotional and I love to like dig in and have juicy emotional relationships and conversations, she says, you need to be very thoughtful about and in thinking about discerning who you allow in and how much you trust Mm-hmm. Until someone really proves themselves to you mm-hmm. because your picker is off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, 
And you're the one who taught me narcissists look for exactly that kind of person. Yeah. Who just like goes, how can I give you? Come sit at my table, break bread. Let's talk about it. Let's be really emotional. And it's like feeding on that. Mm-hmm. Right? You're the one who taught me that. Yeah. Yeah. So I say no icky people under the tent. I know. You're so good at it too. And now that I understand the, you know what, Rebecca, the one thing I have to tell you that has been my superpower over the last five years is my gut, my heart gut connection. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't have any tangible way to explain it, I still trust it more than I trust my head. Well, the heart math. Head, yeah, my head's let me down so many times. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's so synchronistic that you had um, the heart math specialist at Interfifth this past weekend because I had just started really learning about it from the person who's been my personal business coach and and really personal coach for the past 15 years um, and really one of my best friends. Um, She had been teaching me about it just recently. And it's so synchronistic that we learned about it because yes, I mean, your heart does actually know before your head. So was that blowing your mind when you heard that people would have a reaction to a photograph up to three seconds before the photo flashed up. Yeah. That they had the fear response that they were going to see a photo of a beautiful little baby duckling versus a picture of a viper biting a leg of a person hiking. And that that stat that came out of Stanford, they did a whole study around the fact that your heart and the coherence and the knowing of your intuition and your heart is two to three seconds ahead of your brain to the point that your heart's reacting to a picture that it hasn't even seen yet. Blowing your mind. That's like future stuff. That's Joe Dispenza, future quantum. It's happening before it's happening. It's past, future, today, all at once stuff. Yeah. Like when you are in it, you can feel, and I can feel it. I am at the point now where I can feel what an email is going to say before I can, before I open it. Like, like I just got chills. Yeah. Like I can, what what somebody's response is going to be. But here's where I'm struggling. So I really am, I'm focused on learning about this, which is when my intuition knows that email example you just gave, you said, I know I'm going to open it and kind of what's going to come from that. That means to me that you knew something about that relationship, but there was an underlying something. I did. That you did not address that was latent and somehow came into manifest and came through in an email. And now it's sitting in your inbox and you're like, I know what this is going to be. So my... And I agree with you. It's like knowing I'm about to buy the lottery ticket that has the ticket to millions when I know it has the ticket to millions. And I'm like, okay, this one I know. And I I get that for bad feelings and good feelings. And so why are we not, or how? what action should you and I have taken before that email landed in our inbox? I mean, I guess that's where you really can start to be, you know, I think meditation and getting more connected to source Mm -hmm. can help. I'm not that good yet. Here's why. Because, and I'm facing this this past week, so I'm curious because I'm grappling with this myself. I get... I don't say angry. I'm disappointed in myself when I know something and I ignore it, but I don't know why I know it. I just know it. And I'm like, oh, but I got to do it anyway because I already said I would. And I already agreed to that contract or I signed on that person or I hired that, that contractor. I gave my commitment, blah, 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 right? And then that happens, that email 
or that lawsuit or that knock on your door or that whatever. And you're like, what the heck? If you don't show up for yourself, who is? Like, you knew this. And I guess I'm at a place where I go, okay, have grace. You didn't know it. You thought it. You felt it. You had instincts, but you didn't know. I'm going to mastery level, which will be at some point, I hope in this lifetime, which is Leota level that says, I don't even need one more thing to tell me I'm making the right choice. I'm going to call that person I just hired and say, listen, I I made a mistake. This isn't a fit. Or that contractor, you know what? I told you I wanted you for the job. I slept on it. I woke up. Something's up. I can't say yes. We're going to have to terminate this and we'll move forward. Maybe in a month, we'll regroup or something. This I could use support. I don't know if you, if your listeners feel this way. This is my big opportunity for for transition and change. I, I mean, I have started that process. I mean, I not with employees, people I've actually hired. I mean, you know, I'm trying to be so much better with that. But I know that at least for contractors. As soon as I start to see a red flag, I've definitely started to go, you know, I'm cutting it now mm. <laughs> right away. Yeah. Because I, why prolong? I, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. You right. know, if it's, if it's a, 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 a marketing person or a media buyer or something, you know, I'm, I'm not allowing myself that I don't know them anything. They don't owe me anything. You know, we're just going to go cut now mm-hmm. because I, I don't want to do that to myself anymore. You know, whereas, you know, a few years back, I might've been like, oh, I don't want to look like I, you know, I want to be nice. You know, I, I'm, I don't do that anymore. Mm. And dating, if any of you are dating, you know this when you know, right? It's the... He was introduced. He looks so good on paper. He's been to the right schools. He's a friend of my friend. I have all the reasons why I should go on the third date or the fourth date or the fifth date, even though there's something inside you going, I don't think this is the right fit. Well, and so, you know, this is the one thing. You are so committed to spiritual growth more than most people that I know. You're so committed to personal development. You're so committed to change. You're so committed to um, other people's personal development mm-hmm. and change. And you're one of the, and I said this in your intro, you're one of the most abundant thinkers that I know, meaning you, and I really really try to be this way too with my friends and the people in my world. I, you know, I'm so thrilled for my friends and I really try to support my friends. And I I love that about you. So I, I want to know, you know, tell me how this evolved for you and especially knowing that you've dealt with I, well, I mean, I know we don't have, you know, this is running a little longer than uh, many of my podcasts, but, you know, if you could tell us a little bit more about your journey in dealing with, a, you know, toxic narcissists in your life and then your commitment to spiritual growth and change. Yeah. I think what I realized was this idea that I have to keep giving so much of myself in order to feel worthy and that I belonged and that every success that I would have um, would mean that I'd have to double down to be more successful the next year, right? I have to excel. I have to get better numbers, better returns. And then I brought in um, investors and I felt obligated to, to make sure I showed up. And so I don't know, I would say 50% of it comes from some very interesting personalities and 50% of it comes from my own talk track that is not gentle and kind or wasn't. And I got to a place where I thought, you know, if this is, this, the word success is such a powerful word and 
I got, you know, Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year for Los Angeles. And then I was asked to go compete at nationals. And of all the entrepreneurs that were winning locally, I was one of four selected to go nationally. And you have to imagine when I accepted my award, I was the only woman on stage with 22 other uh, candidate participants, all male. So I think I just kept looking around thinking, okay, I feel weird. I know I feel weird inside. I feel a little awkward outside. Um, and I, I have to keep going. I have to run and push hard to continue to perform to prove that I'm here for the right reasons and that I can be successful. So the hitting bottom in 2017 for me was after having unwound a you know marriage relationship, which I wouldn't call a marriage in the traditional sense. It was more of a friendship, co-parenting, cohabitation relationship. But because I had built a company that was almost 100 million in revenue at that point, and I had had a prenup, but that didn't matter because there are lots of LA lawyers willing to take the outspouse on as the as the client when they have a high net worth in spouse supporter, even if there's a prenup. So that was a whole Harvard Business School lesson on high net worth divorce and what it means to go through that. Do not recommend. Yeah. <laughs> I've um, been there. I mean, not, not, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, from a, you know, as a represented in, you know, divorces many times. Mm, do not recommend. And divorce is difficult for kids and all of those things. Um, and LA is a special place for high net worth divorces because it means they take trash out of your trash bin. They follow you around and photograph you. They put things on the internet. And um, it's like next level. So that was traumatizing, I would say. And that was the year that I thought, gosh, you know, how can you let someone like this into your life? How, how did you even allow someone like this to come in who has been now under the hood and has such a personal connection to you that you even have children together, even though there was an, an agreement and a way in which we were going to be raising our kids. And I thought we had an understanding. Lots of things change when money's made. So that was my first like, wow, unpack how this even got to this place. And then part two of that was the business relationship with my business partner and realizing that we had outgrown each other and that there was really the need to, to sell the company. But without a buy-sell agreement in place, you know, that took about 18 months uh, for us to figure out and was quite a challenging period of time. So again, asking myself the question, how did I let this person into my life with this type of dynamic? And I think it all, all roads lead back to me or all re roads lead back to you, meaning it is absolutely incumbent upon me to open up and take a look at what do I allow? Who do I allow in my life? And how do I allow myself to be treated that allows this behavior to be the outcome? And so I very much take responsibility for taking a look under the hood and saying, if you want different results, what do you got to do? You have to have a different approach because the definition of insanity is, right? And so for me, it was very much instead of pointing outward and looking outward and blaming outward, uh, it was a multi, multi-million dollar experience that I had of outflows that I had to compensate for those decisions through financial decisions that ended up being, you know, uh, settlements, et cetera. But I would say that was nothing compared to the inner work of figuring out how do I want to move forward in my world and my life? And spirituality was a very important component to getting clarity for myself about how I was going to move forward in my life and what tools I was going to utilize to ask myself the question. Every time something happens that I don't like, I have to look in the mirror and ask myself, what have I allowed 
what weeds have been growing in my garden that I have ignored because I don't want to pick weeds. I want to go play or I want to go do other things. What weeds have I allowed to grow in my garden that have now overgrown the garden and now the tomato plants are dead and I have to go in and excavate? Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we carry them and we bottle them up, it can definitely affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get them off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know it's definitely been helpful for me in learning how to deal with past trauma and set boundaries and be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's super convenient because it's all online and flexible. Just Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash negotiate today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash negotiate. I, I mean, I, I like that because... And so many people are going to go, well, what about the other person? You know, and I, and the reason why I love the approach of what you're saying, and I want people to hear out what I'm saying, is because when you take responsibility, it also means that you have control. The flip side of that is that you're now saying, I have control of my life. The flip side is that you're no longer saying, I'm in victim mode. Yep. Yeah. And to be candid, and when I think back at reform school and all those wheelbarrows of of boulders going uphill for two years and all the wood cutting and all of the dig digging of ditches. My whole story was, this is, I'm here because I had a bad childhood and I, you know, my mom was not the mom I had hoped for. And that was my two-year story. Like, had I had a different mom, I wouldn't be here. And, you know, my life would be different. Now my story is, had I not had her as my mom, I would never be as successful. I would never be as thoughtful, strategic, I can read a room like she can, like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. And exactly. what a gift. Yeah. And because it was tough. I learned how to show up and speak up for myself because I had a, a switch that I could flip that told me when I was in danger mode, I better stand up and and get right toe-to-toe with someone and not let them mow me down because... I know what that feels like to be mowed down as a little kid. I, I'm now an adult and I'm going toe-to-toe. And so I can go in and say anything, but I can say it from compassion, from love, and be firm, and be feminine, and be matter-of-fact, and say, that's it. So. I love it. So good. So for people who are feeling really powerless right now and you know we've been we've all been there oh yeah what would be the first thing that you would say to them what's something actionable that they could do today you know um powerlessness there are two things happening one is circumstances that are your material reality in this moment and that might be an abusive spouse that might be someone who's hitting you or hitting you with words the 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 
the powerlessness comes from those external experiences, right? When those things happen, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, it rocks your world. But what I would suggest to anyone who's listening and saying, yeah, I'm in that situation and I just feel so bad about myself. I don't see any way out. I would remind yourself every single day of at least two to three things that you did really well that day. It could have been you rocked making breakfast for the kids, or it could have been that you got yourself out of the house and on that two-mile walk to get outside and get some fresh air, or it could have been that you were able to pick your kids up on time and make it home for the dry cleaner and all of the other things. Like You've got to find two or three things that you can hang your hat on and go, I rocked this today and give yourself back the accolades of what it means to be in your, in your power and remind yourself that this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like when I was sitting in that fashion institute class and I was sitting in the front row thinking, man, these people are going to figure out they let me in and uh, they're going to push me out the door. And every time I'd raise my hand, I'd come home and I'd be like, I can't believe I asked another question and I, I got involved even though my heart was racing. I was so fearful that they would think I wasn't smart enough to be there. And so those baby confidences, those baby steps, those accolades each day, I was like, I did it. I think is where you have to start. You have to start with the little things. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, I I think a, a gratitude and then acknowledging yourself are so important. Huge. Huge. And it can just be like, I cool, I made some kick-ass lamb chops, man. My kids thought they were great. Yeah. And I tried a new recipe and they were delicious. Like these little things, guys, this is what life's all about. These are it's not the it's not the big the launching of the book and being on this and that. All these things are just these major points in time, but it's little daily things that add up to the joyful, delicious, ripe, you know, rewarding life that brings this texture and richness to each of us. It's like, and number two, I think the other thing that makes you powerful is realizing you got yourself in a situation one way or another, you're in it, accept responsibility and start to to imagine and vision for the life you want next. Give yourself that hopeful, like I see myself living in the, at the beach in a cottage and I see myself painting and I have a different life and a different job and like start visioning who she is next. I think that's a, your imagination is your greatest secret weapon. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Be it now. Be it now. Everything you sit on, touch, feel, ex- explore, everything everything that you have in your life is as once was once a thought. Absolutely. So beautiful. And that's that's the quotable moment right there. Yeah. Where can people learn more about you? Well, uh, LinkedIn, which I think used to be this old school way of uh, connecting. And now I think it's really rich and great. I love my LinkedIn friends, uh, Tracy Holland. And you will see me with Potential to Powerhouse podcast as well as with Inner Fifth. And then I have an investment platform and a consumer brands platform called Goodwill Brands. So those are all three. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much. I adore you. Thank you. You're amazing. And I think that uh, this is going to be so helpful for so many. So I hope so. Lots of love to everyone. It's this life thing. Ain't no joke, baby. Surreal. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. 
Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life and I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Slayers. I'm here to tell you about a new podcast I'm excited about. Creating Confidence, hosted by Heather Monahan, a part of the Yap Media Network. Heather sits down with experts like Gary Vee, Sarah Blakely, and Les Brown to share with you techniques and strategies to create your confidence, pursue your dreams, and leapfrog villains you'll meet along the way. Creating Confidence is about elevating your confidence to the highest level ever. And take your business right there with you. Don't believe me? I'm going to share some of the amazing reviews that I've seen on Apple. Here's one. Heather has the perfect gems of wisdom that not only inspire you, but motivate you into action. I recommend it to anyone who wants to elevate their reach and go to that next level. How about that? That's amazing. Here's another one. Heather is so inspiring, and each episode is filled with tips and tricks on how to become more confident and live the life of your dreams. So if you are looking to level up your confidence, check out Creating Confidence now. Subscribe to Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is.